John chapter 5, this man who was paralyzed or crippled, a man who was in a condition where he was lying down for or with a disease for 38 years. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porches. Some of you are familiar with the archaeological discovery. We've gone over some of these things in our church a few years ago. We did the archaeology studies before the main sermon. And uh, for many years, it was contested people. They said there's no such pool having five porches in that region. We haven't found any. And this has been for a while. For many, many years. And then they discovered it. They actually discovered a pool with uh, the remains indicating five porches, and archaeologists were amazed. Everything in the Bible, every single thing is true. And because man hasn't found physical evidence for it doesn't mean it's not true. As you know, for many, many years, even with the case of Abraham and Mesopotamia, King David, all of these things, so-called scholars and expert archaeologists and historians who don't believe in Jesus, they've said for years the Bible is not true. It's just not true. We have somebody who was an unbeliever, a historian, who ended up believing the whole Bible because in the book of Acts, he said there's so many places mentioned they can't be true. And then when he was looking to travel the ancient routes of ancient cities that he had read about, there's no book available in antiquity or ancient times, they would have a full description of the areas that he wanted to travel. And he was able to use the book of Acts as a guide because it talks about the travels of Paul with his friends, including Luke, the writer to the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, Dr. Luke, is a physician. And when this man, he used the Bible to help his travels. He came away believing the whole Bible as the truth because he said it's so accurate in its geography. It's so accurate in so many details of, of leading figures of history from that era. So many, many discoveries have come about that have um, caused people such as Sir William Ramsey, who is an atheist, 
historian. And when he began to look closer at the Bible, more closely at it, he saw that it's reliable. Everything there is reliable. And so many, many people have, have tried to debunk the Bible and come away believing, came away believing, because they were honestly taking a second look at it, as it were. This is one such instance. And this was uh, quite recently compared to archaeological study periods that they discovered this. Well, in this particular place in Jerusalem, Israel, first of all, it's not a large place at all. If you look at it on the map, we can see it immediately. It's uh, known as just a sliver, a slice of land compared to the huge nation surrounding it. And some have said it's the size of the state of New Jersey. But in this particular area, which is known as the crossroads of the world, situated at the center of the world, it is technically part of Asia, the Asian continent, though it's at the border of Eurasia. This Israel was where the greatest events in human history took place because the Son of God was born there and he preached there and he died there and he resurrected from there. How remarkable. And within that Israel, Jerusalem in the southern part, known in these Roman times where the gospel was written, was part of a Judean territory, even smaller. And Jerusalem itself, even smaller. And so, when you look at the map, if you have occasion to look at the map of Jerusalem in biblical times, it's a very specific spot. It's either there or it's not. It's written exactly where it is. It says by the Sheep Gate. There are different gates around Jerusalem. There's a particular gate. And that's where this Bethesda with the five porches, so specific, is supposed to have been. That's exactly where they found it. When? Almost 2,000 years later. 1,900 plus years later. This is where Jesus came one day. This is where, by that pool, there were a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. Now, you look at this description again, we have to note, unfortunately, modern scholarship has taken portions such as John chapter 5 and they've inserted they've either omitted or they've inserted some things that are not there in various parts of the scriptures in this case they've omitted such as the New International Version they have omitted verse 4 we have to know that for thousands of years 
people have been believing that this is part of the original Bible. And people have read this, and when we went through the Gospel of Mark, especially chapter 16, with the miracles that God said would follow those who believe him and preach the gospel, they took that out, or they put question marks that it's not in the original or it's not in the best manuscripts or the oldest manuscripts. That's how Satan comes in to try to take out from the Word of God and twist. And many of these so-called scholars, they actually have affinity with Unitarianism and various cultic groups, and they're on biblical revision committees. So it's important for us to understand that because someone has a degree in archaeology or biblical theology or they're the founder of this or that or a big movement doesn't mean they're truthful. Often when you look closer at their lives, you'll see that they actually belong to some bizarre groups. They actually contradict the truth in their personal lifestyle. But for us, we need to know that the Bible that includes everything such as fasting and prayer, required for deliverance, ministry, particularly, such as the healing passages that many Bibles like the NIV uh, try to take out, along with the other versions that borrow from that NIV, such as the NLT, you have uh, verses and sections taken out of there. We need to be careful. One such place is this. Uh, case in point for us to know, John 5.3, the New Living Translation, it's written in a footnote. Some manuscripts add an expanded conclusion to verse 3 and all of verse 4. That includes that verse there. So it casts doubt upon the content. And that's not a good thing. In the New Living, uh, that is the New International Version, says the same thing. But we believe everything that's in there for centuries. In English language, the Bible is translated. It's remarkable if we think about it as you look at the history of it. It's very important. The Bible is written in two languages concerning the Old Testament, 39 books. It was Hebrew with a little bit of Aramaic in places like Daniel, the prophet. The New Testament was written in Greek. Now these people, these Semitic people, the Hebrew people that came from Abraham were part of the Semitic language people groups. So it was only sensible and rational for the Lord to have used that language to have Moses write it in Hebrew to reach the people who were local over there. But then by the time of the first century, the main language spreading like wildfire because of the political domination of Greece, the Grecian Empire, the main language is Greek. So the gospel went far 
transcending the boundaries of the Hebrew language. Now you have multitudes of people everywhere speaking Greek because of that influence of the Greek or the Grecian Empire. Greeks influence art and culture and language. Tremendous influence under Alexander the Great around the 300s B.C. before Christ. So already God was setting up these scriptures of the New Testament now to be written in Greek. And Paul took that all over the place. He took it to a place called Elicrium where he said, I preached round about Elicrium. That's in the region of uh, modern-day Albania and through Turkey in different places. Uh, the European continent, the Asian continent, Asia Minor. Greek was popular everywhere. God used it as a vehicle. How God's hand is in the unfolding of history and in the compilation of the biblical books to distribute it as widely as possible. Now, a most remarkable thing happened after the Bible was translated into Latin called the Vulgate which was taken from the term vulgar not in a derogatory sense but in the sense that there was a common kind of language although many people couldn't read it for that region Jerome about the 4th century AD translated into that language and that became accessible to the ancient Brits or English in the 7th century to the 10th century AD there were translations happening into the archaic or old English version language how did it jump from Hebrew and then from the Old Testament Hebrew and Aramaic then to the uh, Greek language in the first century for the 27 books of the New Testament and then a remarkable translation into Latin a few centuries later and then the most remarkable translation more than Latin itself but using Latin as a springboard and the people going to the original Hebrew and Greek taking that and translating it all into English with multiple versions if you go to a biblical museum you see how God caused the language known as English to be the vehicle to reach more of the world quite literally than even Hebrew or Greek or Latin combined how did that happen? as the British Empire was gaining control of the world many parts of the world the Spirit of God stirred up men like William Tyndale in the 1500s with a passion risking his life to translate the Bible into English and he did portions of it and the king wanted him dead and the whole empire was against him and he ran to other countries in Europe and he was hunted 
like a criminal news. He was just having the manuscripts smuggled and he worked and worked and then they burned him at the stake. While he was dying in the 1500s, he said, Oh Lord, open the eyes of the King of England. And all of a sudden a flip happened. Miraculous flip because the very man who was hunting him to destroy his work all of a sudden began to be the biggest advocate with political power to to spread the Bible in the English language. Very, very profound because that was the language. God used it. God used the Hebrew language. He used the Greek language. He used the English language. And after that, from particularly the 20th century, so many translators have gone out into the world, to some remote parts of the world. The Bible is now translated into thousands of languages. What did Jesus say? He said, this gospel shall be preached to every nation and then the end will come. This is one of the big signs that we're nearing the Lord Jesus' return. The one that came first time right here, particularly in John chapter 5, to bring his healing power, the Son of God walking in Jerusalem. He's going to come back again. But how remarkable that the very words of God that were preserved were strategically spread by the sovereign, perfect will of God using the most influential languages, step by step. Now he has stirred people who have that ability to use technology in the modern age. Technology is not just uh, computers. Technology is in every age. It's just a different way than what we're used to. When we think about technology, we think about microchips, and we think about computers, we think about uh, appliances, modern appliances. But Technology is anything that people use to um, to get labor done or information um, shared, etc. For the good of society, generally speaking. The single most important technological advancement that God used strategically for the distribution of the Bible, which used to be copied on stone and clay and then on parchments uh, deer skin and uh, papyrus uh, plants reeds that used to be cut into strips and flattened they would write on that then they began to uh, migrate from having a scroll to having a precursor to a book pages that are sewn together with uh, hard cover, and these things known as codexes. God is using technology all the while in history. Whatever he allowed man to come up with, God was using it for the gospel, even though the devil was busy also using it, such as film today. So much of the distribution of the Jesus film and other um, worthy gospel projects how many people groups have been reached by that? And now with quite literally not only smartphones, with the gospel films and 
Bibles are just everywhere. But because of confiscation of phones, now they have tiny little um, chips and uh, cards that they can quickly pull out of the phone should they be caught and destroyed. God is behind all of this tremendous distribution of the Word of God. And the accuracy of the Scriptures to disprove it has been attempted over and over again down the centuries. And every time the very people who have said we've discovered that the whole thing is a hoax is false. They've been embarrassed to find that they were wrong because every year literally more and more digging in the ground has yielded confirmations that every time the Bible speaks about any topic, any subject, it's always proven to be accurate. And the people who find it are not Christians. The majority of people who discover proofs for the accuracy of biblical declarations in any field, whether it's geography, mathematics, quarantine and medicine, genealogical records, just goes on and on. There's no book like it. From a scientific point of view, from an archaeological point of view, from a literary point of view, the styles and the people groups that are familiar with the areas and the cultures, tremendous accuracy where we know this book cannot be but divine. Only God could have written it using man. So we're privileged to have that sacred book which is the very word of God. Now the Lord comes here to this man who has been lying with this disease. We'll go to verse 4. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water and whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. There's a provision made where God has given the ability for people to come depending upon their eagerness to gain a supernatural touch. The other day we heard Pastor Bashir in the meeting that in the same meeting two people can have polar experiences, polar opposites in their experiences. One could be cold as ice, dead as stone, nothing going in from the presence of God that is present the other one permeated fully and engulfed and immersed in the Holy Spirit on fire for God. How is it possible? It's similar to those two that went to the temple one day that Jesus said. One was a religious leader, a Pharisee. The other was a common man, a sinner at that, a publican. And the first man started bragging about how godly and good he was supposed to have been. He says, I'm, I tithe, I do this, Lord, and it's dangerous to bring our credentials to God in a self-righteous way. The other man had said he wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven, but he beat him 
his hand on his chest as a sign of penitence and deep sorrow and humility. He said, Lord, have mercy on me, sinner, basically. And the Lord said, now, similar to the widow that came and put in just a few pennies compared to all these people, rich ones who put so much money, the Lord said, this woman has put in more than them. Look at how God checks the balances. How he weighs things. Well, similar here, this man that's supposed to have been so learned in the Bible and he knew all the rituals and the Jewish customs and the commandments and he was a teacher and God said, I rejected him. But I have accepted the sinner. Why? Because a sinner shows genuine sign of repentance with marked humility, brokenness, depending upon the mercy and grace of God. No boasting. No oppression. But the other guy, he said, thank God I'm not like this guy, Lord, next to me. The Lord said, that man is not justified. He's not going to heaven. And so God gives an opportunity for everyone to come near him, but no one can come near him and be touched by him unless they're humble enough to listen to him. This man had this opportunity. He heard about God moving, but he was in such a case that nobody was there to help him into the water because he couldn't walk. He couldn't get himself into the pool. How pathetic and tragic. The people bound by the devil who are not able to avail themselves. They can't benefit from what God has made available because oftentimes the paralysis is a spiritual one. They're in the cords and chains of sin so much that they're not able to reach out for God's hand when God is reaching out for them. They've been blinded by unbelief, blinded by pride, there are some people who actually have said, who's preaching today? Is it that woman? I'm not going to any church where a woman's preaching. It still happens today in certain places. And thereby they have missed the move of the Spirit of God. Some people have said, I'm not going to hear that preacher because of the color of his skin. How God has used a variety of people to preach the gospel and write the Bible. About 40 different authors, roughly, from every sphere of life you can imagine. In every social strata. God has done that. It's important for us to have spiritual ears. That's why the Lord said, He that had the ears to hear, let him hear. God is making this offer. People know about it. And the angel is stirring the pool and if whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. When God speaks the word, we take it and we say, Lord, thank you. I receive it by faith. I'm going to praise you, Lord. Now, a certain man was there who had an infirmity, his disease, 38 years when Jesus saw him lying there. And Jesus is coming on the scene. People are doing what they do when the angel comes down. They know they have to jump in. Whoever jumps in first gets that healing. It really signifies, again, the faith. You see, a person won't move unless there's faith. 
As we heard last evening in Life Training School, faith talks. Faith also walks. This man couldn't walk physically, but his faith could walk. He received it. Now a certain man was there, was sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, God knew that he had already been in that condition a long time. He said to him, Do you want to be made well? Imagine he could hardly believe what he's hearing. But he doesn't know who's asking him. The sick man answered him as if to say, of course, but I just can't make it. See, he did everything he could do. Possibly by asking the people who took him there, please take me there and leave me there, or I don't want to miss this. Let me be as close as I can. He did everything he could do. God came and did what only God could do. First, we need to want to be made well. We have to say enough is enough. I'm tired. I'm tired of sin, sinful tendencies, tendencies and evil. I'm tired of trying to go the broad way, trying to people please and please myself and get all my desires met any which way I can. Be immersed in this gross lifestyle of serving Satan. You have Blue-collar people doing that, white-collar people doing that. You have people in high places and low places and medium places in between. All humanity is in the grip of the evil one, the Holy Spirit says in the epistle of John. Now, John, writing this gospel, uh, records this man saying with this sorrow, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming... Another steps down before me. I'm trying. I'm not able. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. It's a command. It's coming from the one who we saw in John chapter 1, a few chapters before this, the beginning of the gospel, who spoke the universe into existence. He's the one that said, let there be light. It says that he created the starry host, the stars. How big are stars? Many of them are Many, 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 many times the size of the earth. And it's written in the scriptures that by the breadth of his mouth, by the breadth of Jesus' mouth, he created stars everywhere. He's the one speaking. He's the one. He's speaking health and healing, restoration into existence, when there's no hope. The man said as much. I'm not able to. There's no way. I'm I'm doing everything I can, but it's not happening. Man has failed me, and I feel like a failure too. I'm not able to get my healing. Jesus said, rise, take up your bed and walk. I'm telling you. I'm giving you the healing. And immediately, 
the man was made well and took up his bed and walked. God is speaking to us. You know, the devil won't stop trying. And the person and the people that he's most angry with are followers of Jesus. And what he hates is that if he can't prevent them from going to heaven, he would love for them to suffer and root to heaven. He would love to afflict them and in doing so with the temptations and the tribulation that he likes to rile up against the believer, against you and me. His hope is that we would begin to question God and say, you know, it's been a long time, 38 years is a long time. Where is God? And it seems like there's just no hope. We've heard this also recently in our meetings. It's true. We can have faith in God for some areas, but other areas it's very, very difficult. And many times it's because the enemy is laughing with glee because he has successfully robbed us of a blessing or blessings due to the pain of rejection, the pain of a disease, and the length of time of the suffering. It's impossible, he says. You know it. You know it's impossible. God can help you here and there, but not here. This area, I've got you here. Look how long it's been. And look, everybody else is getting it. You're not getting it. You come and try to discourage and raise doubts. God is conveying here very clearly, don't doubt. God says, I can do miracles. I can raise you up, hallelujah, from the pit. When the enemy says, that's where you belong. God says, no. Just as he called Lazarus out of the tomb, death cannot stand in the presence of our almighty Savior. Jesus is not just the mighty God. He's almighty God. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity. This man, after 38 years, was suddenly, instantaneously, miraculously delivered. We ought to have faith in the Lord and say, Lord, I'm not going to give up believing. In fact, I'm going to do everything I can to strengthen my faith, oh God, for the miracle or miracles I'm looking for. Some of us not only have one miracle that we're in need of, We have a number of them that we desperately need for deliverance, for healing, for restoration. Jesus is able to meet every one of our needs, every one of them. Because he's an awesome God. He's a big God. And he loves us so much. He has all the power. Disease and demons must flee when we draw near to Jesus because he is the author of life. And he came to give us abundant life. Can he help us to start over? Can he do something new? Even today, yes, he can. Can the Lord restore hope and then deliver on that hope by materializing something that seems utterly impossible? For some people, their emotions get the better of them. 
just can't seem to understand why they feel so low sometimes. And a believer can be assaulted with demonic spirits bringing anxiety and depression. It's very debilitating. I've experienced that years ago where since the time I was small, I, I couldn't understand how people could go into depression. Are they not strong enough? Why would they have anxiety and fears like this, that they're paralyzed? Are they that weak? These are the kind of thoughts that they might come into the mind, not in a despising manner, but trying to understand it because we don't know what it is. Then came a time when all of a sudden demonic spirit would come while I was traveling at work, at home. It would come with this force. It was a spirit of fear from Satan unleashed different demons out of nowhere seemingly. Tremendous fear where I was paralyzed for all intents and purposes. Gripped with fear of death and then the body began to get acclimated to that spirit of fear and the heart beating so fast and I felt like I was going to die. Where would that come from? I never had a history of it. No substance abuse, nothing. It was the devil trying to take me down and it took prayer, crying out to God and meditating on the word of God and saying them out loud and then rebuking the devil and eventually, the tables were overturned and the demons left. Hallelujah. But they would try at different times. Who can explain it? When you're otherwise healthy in every way, and self-confident, and even God-confident, times will come and the enemy will try. But God will take us through that testing period where he'll give us more victory. Hallelujah. Victory in Jesus, all around. I have not given you the spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love and sound mind. Hallelujah. As you heard yesterday evening, also we're called to dominate the circumstances. Not because we are all that and we are smart, but because we have the living Christ with us. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Sometimes the Lord will take us through the water, as we heard, and he will part the water. But there will be times when he'll say, I want you to walk on the water. Impossible? For us, yes. But with God, all things are possible. And we have a share in his divine nature. It's written in Second Peter 1. How rich we are, how powerful in Christ we are, how the enemy has not got a chance against us when we're walking with God. And that's why it's important. Has this man heard the word of God speaking to him? Do you want to be made well? Implying that the questioner is able to deliver on that need being met. And when he says all that he can say, the Lord told him something. 
And if he didn't believe and he resisted, it wouldn't have happened. We need to say, Lord, you are the potter. I am the clay. Lord, you say it. And it's done. Like a centurion. Just speak the word, Lord. What a great transformation when God offers us something beyond our human understanding. Such as the healings that have happened in our church. People that were crippled for years, sometimes 30 plus years like this man with infirmity. All of a sudden, God calls out from the pulpit during worship. You, who have been bound by depression, Jesus is setting you free now. Not random words or just wishful thinking, but God is speaking. And he's sending with that word the power to set free at the same time. The person who has that condition and believes it, hallelujah, they begin to thank God and the miracle happens, hallelujah. Sometimes it happens right there on the spot. Sometimes the next day. Sometimes the next week. Sometimes it takes some months, but it has begun. It's not progressive healing because of mind over matter or psychological self-manipulation. It is the power of God. That's why no one can explain how it happened. Hallelujah. He's a miracle-working God. God is saying today, He has come to deliver you from any infirmity so that you can live to the praise and glory of God. Hallelujah. He's a miracle-working God. He's a miracle-working God. He's a wonder. He's a miracle. He's a miracle-working God. He's a miracle-working God. Oh, He's a miracle-working God. Jesus, He's a wonder. He's a miracle. He's a miracle-working God. Hallelujah. Believe it and receive it. God will make you victorious all around in every area of your life. Hallelujah. This is God's good word to us today. He's not done. He's saying, are you coming with me to paradise? Heaven on earth to be an overcomer and to be a person who's received every benefit God has. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And don't forget all the benefits he has for you, O soul. We talk to ourselves in the presence of God. Don't you miss out on anything God has. The God that forgives all of my sins, not a trace of it is left. Hallelujah. Is that compassionate, that powerful to forgive? Because he took the penalty of it and he's that powerful to get rid of the power of sin in our lives so we can walk righteously. Who heals all of my diseases. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I meant to live and not die to declare your glory, Lord. And to be an agent of healing, Lord, to so many people who are crippled. They're crying, Lord. They're broken, Lord. They're afraid, Lord. Oh, so many prisons that the devil has placed upon mankind. How can I sit still and not cry out to the one who rescued me to say, Lord, use these hands, O Lord. Use these feet, O Lord. I can't stand by seeing others suffer 
when there's a Savior available to deliver them. Oh, Jesus, help me. I want to be used by you to speak the Word of God and to do the will of God in rescuing people. Lord, I want to be just like you, going about, healing all who are oppressed of the devil, doing good, and healing all who are oppressed of the devil, not by learning some new age technique from Satan, pretending, not by teaching the mind over matter skills, which is empty and bogus in the end. Not by teaching them or claiming anything except pointing to the cross where the Son of God defeated the devil. He bore all our sins and all our diseases in his body. And after defeating the one who had the power of death, the devil, he transcended all of it resurrected and he is sitting as a king on the throne of the universe and he says I want you to come up and be with me forever I've come to set you free and to use you to set others free receive the healing receive the deliverance receive the word of faith and God will restore your family you have faith for that that not one member of your family will be left behind Get busy reading the Word of God, devouring it, because that's where the power is. God's spoken Word, rhema Word into our souls, into our circumstance. The anointing of the Holy Spirit to immerse that Word and cause an explosion to the kingdom of darkness trying to drown our families and our lives. Hallelujah. God is for you. Who can be against you? No one. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If you've heard the word this morning to you and you'd like to pray and praise God, please go ahead.